And welcome to episode 78 of the Retrospectives podcast, Celeste. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined as always by my co host, James Turlings. James, we're doing something a little different today, something that we've never really done before, or, you know, have done kind of once before. We did it once with uh, with Dark Souls, right? <laughs> yes, that was that was episode 50. That was our cheat episode where we decided to uh, move the timeline up a bit. But uh, this, this episode, we're going far newer. We're going to within three years, within two years, two and a half years, and we're covering the 2018 modern day classic, Celeste. James, are you excited to do Celeste today? I'm kind of nervous, actually. Like this game is, you know, it's got it's it's kind of special to me, right? And I feel like I just want to do this episode well, right? Yeah, me too. So, so every year we have two kind of special Christmas episodes, and we decided, you know, for one of our special Christmas episodes, we would cover a game that James and I were both very high on. Um, it's going to be a bit different from our normal stuff because normally what we do for those who haven't listened is we play old classic games and we evaluate whether they've stood the test of time or not. This is a bit different. Um, I think straight out the gates. I just want to say James and I are very high on Celeste. Uh, we both like it a lot. We've both played it to uh, completion or at least the main game to completion before. And this was us coming back and playing through it again, mainly so that we could tell you what we like about it. That doesn't mean it's flawless, of course, and there's going to be lots of good discussion, I'm sure. But um, this is more of an in-depth analysis and discussion about what Celeste is and how it works and what we like about it than it is necessarily... Uh, trying to criticize it and see if it stood the test of time for what we normally do. So for those who've never heard of Celeste before, um, it's a 2D platformer first released in 2018 by Extremely OK Games. So the game was directed, designed, and written by a single person called Maddie Thorson. Although it wasn't strictly a one-person show, uh, you know, they, she, she got people in to do other music, and Noel Berry is the other big programmer. It's a fully realized version of a Pico 8 version of the game. Pico 8 is like a, you know, it's a game developing tool, kind of like Unity or something like that. Um, and it was the original version of the game was like made over four days as part of a game jam. And Celeste is kind of the 2018 game is the fully realized version of that game. Um, in the game, you take control of a character called Madeline or Madeline as she attempts to climb a mountain and she confronts her fears and anxieties made manifest along the way. So that's the absolute basic setup of the game. Uh I think that where we should start with our discussion is probably the story, James. Um, hmm. Just because although Celeste is a deeply mechanical experience, it also has a... Um, I think the story is quite important to the overall experience. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So the story, I would say, is um, is quite simple. Uh, it's mainly told in cutscenes in between the levels where you do your platforming. But um, I think it's a very effective one. Uh, the idea is that Madeline wants to climb this mountain, Celeste. She herself doesn't even know why she, re she really wants to do it. She wants to prove something to herself. She wants to show she can do it. Madeline struggles with both depression and anxiety. And the thing that's special about this mountain she's climbing is that the mountain 
kind of reflects those fears and anxieties and brings them to life. So a lot of the things that Madeline is facing are manifestations of her innermost fears and anxieties. It's very metaphorical and I don't think a lot of what's happening is meant to be taken literally even though as a platformer and the platforming challenges you face are literally things you have to deal with uh, but it's basically uh, tackling um, mental health in a lot of ways. Did, did you find that Madeline's journey to try and overcome the mountain and the things on it resonated with you James? Yeah, it did quite a bit. Like, I personally have also struggled with these things myself uh, in the past. Um, and, you know, I found it very relatable throughout most of the journey. Um, it's not for, it's not a particularly, like, subtle take on the issues, I think. Like, a, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the imagery and the kind of things that are happening are very, you know, in your face. Um, but I think that that kind of works in the context of a game which kind of prides itself on everything being... Uh, very to the point, very like short and snappy. So having the story be very direct in its approach, I think kind of works to its strengths in that way. Structurally, I, I don't think it's, you know, perfect. I think that somewhere in the middle, it kind of meanders a bit and isn't particularly honing in on a specific point. But I think that the, like, I guess the climax of the experience and like overcoming your other self and kind of this reconciliation that the character has with herself and moving forward as a stronger person hits you know a home run i think the the latter half of the game's story beats are like basically perfect with you know the middle kind of being okay yeah i kind of agree with that um so the game split up into seven chapters and i'd say chapters three and four don't really have too much in the way of madeline struggling with her inner demons they're just kind of like fun story asides or just platforming challenges and then when we hit chapter five we kind of get back into the um into the heart of of what i think makes the story special uh, I also think that there's something to be said for the rhythm of the gameplay kind of reflecting uh, what Madeline is going through. Like Celeste is a very challenging game and you die a lot in it. And you try to, as you're playing the game, you're trying to overcome its challenges. And I think that that's reflected in the way Madeline is trying to come to terms with her fear and anxiety and you know, her own personal challenges. Yeah, like the main imagery of the game, right, is the idea of climbing that mountain, of getting to the top, of overcoming hardship. Um, and that is, you know, reflective of the gameplay because Celeste, like as you said, is very hard. And basically anytime you get to a new platforming challenge, it's like staring at a mountain, like how am I ever going, you know, to overcome this? And then, you know, after quite a while of slow progress, you eventually get there. And I think that's like a theme that's reflected again and again and again, you know, like hundreds of times throughout your journey with this game. Um, I think that they have done a really good job at marrying the themes of the story with your experience as a player actually playing the game. Because, you know, this game is hard very it's it's hard on purpose right like i think mm -hmm. a lot of the game's themes would fail to shine through if this game was a cakewalk like it just it would not ring true with the story unless the player had to 
you know, overcome seemingly unbeatable odds like all the time. Uh, the other part of the story that I really liked was um, the arc she goes through with her alter ego, uh, which I don't know if it's her official name, but everyone calls her Badeline because she's the bad version of Madeline. Very, very subtle, I know. Uh, but the interesting part about that arc is that it's like the, I guess, it seems like the evil side of her, but in the end, it's less about rejecting that part of herself and more about uh understanding that part of herself and and coming to terms with that part of herself because like you James I've also struggled a lot with these kinds of mental health issues and I think that you can't you can't just push away um something that's fundamentally part of you but if you try to understand it you can go a long way to coming to terms and be more comfortable with yourself as a person. And I quite liked that development, that it was more about understanding Madeline than it was defeating her. Obviously, we're going, you know, this is going to be full of spoilers. Um, <laughs> we say like, after I, we spoil it. <laughs> we say after we spoil everything. I'm sorry, guys, but it's kind of hard not to talk about it because the story is pretty... I'd say succinct, so it's it's kind of hard to talk about it with going without going into specifics. But I think a big revelation later on, as you alluded to, is this idea that you know this other part of her isn't evil, right? Like it, when I played through the game again for this show, it was very clear to me that she was framed as being evil because of the main character's perceptions of her like during like whenever she talks at the beginning of the game it's always out of like concern it's like i'm worried about you you shouldn't do this it's dangerous right mm -hmm. like she's not actively saying things like i hate you i want you to die and fall off the mountain right it's all anxiety and concerns and like you know, it it's what the main character feels is holding her back in life. These fears of, you know, doing things that are risky or dangerous, like this anxiety. It's very clear to me that, you know, the character design comes across as being super obviously super evil, right? There's a great bit where uh, the characters, when they speak, they appear in frames in the top left, like their little a little picture of their portrait. At one point, she's literally bursting out of the portrait. She show. does that like all the time. She yeah. just like bursts out of it. It's great. I find it really entertaining. Um and it kind of like it makes the it makes the conversations really dynamic when this stuff kind of stuff happens. Like they're not afraid to you know do things that are unexpected and I think that's true for the whole game. But yeah, like I think a really important part of it is like trying to recognize that you can't just cut a part of yourself out. You have to like learn to deal with it. Um and I think uh one of the you know, one of the things that really rings true for me in the story is that a lot of the story is kind of accumulating with you getting to the top of the mountain, but that's not the end, right? Like, that's not how life works. Like, you don't get to the top of this difficult thing, and then suddenly the rest of your life is, like, easy mode. It's like, there's going to be another mountain in your life and the game kind of i think does a good job of showing that by having like a large portion of the game's gameplay take place after the story i guess to me that's like one of the most important things it's less about trying to like solve specific issues and just like learning to like pick yourself up after failure after failure after failure right yeah and this is all to say like the story of celeste is still fairly simple like i wouldn't say yeah. this is the best it, it's not like 
anywhere near, say, pathologic tier in terms of storytelling. Yeah. But it's it's a very well told story, and it has a um it has a warmth to it. I think, p- particularly as you come towards the end, it's very hard in chapter seven not to be completely swept up in in the feeling of excitement and elation as you finally start rapidly ascending the mountain. So so for me it, I I I really like the story. Sometimes you don't need a super complicated story for it to be effective and I think this is a very effectively told story. Yeah, simple but enjoyable. It's not, you know, the greatest thing ever told, but I I do quite enjoy it. So the other thing I wanted to bring up with the storytelling is something that I was completely unaware of until I uh, was doing some more reading about Celeste in preparation for the show. And that's that Madeline, the character, is canonically uh, transgender. So developer Maddie Thorson, she wrote an article confirming that Madeline was transgender, I think a little bit after the free DLC Chapter 9 was released. Um, And I'll pop a link to that in the show notes. It's, It's a really good article and it goes over maddie's gender identity journey and how that was kind of reflected in the game over time so the point i want to raise here which is one that maddie herself raises in the article is that the fact that madeline's journey is that of a transgender person and the fact that a lot of the struggles that she goes through are specific to a transgender person doesn't mean that the way that James and I and many other people relate to it is any less valid or any less insignificant. And in fact, in many ways, it's more significant because it speaks of the universality of mental health problems and the struggle that many of us face against it. Because I think there was a lot of uh, backlash for some reason, when uh, it was confirmed that Madeline was transgender. And it just shows a fundamental misunderstanding of um, of what, what it all means. The fact that it's more meaningful to a transgender person doesn't mean that, you know, CIS people can't take a lot away from it. It just means that... Uh, it's opened up another perspective for us to for us to experience and enjoy. Yeah, to me it's interesting because in the article she says that while writing the game, she herself didn't know these things about either herself or Madeline as a character, but like just as the story was being written, these things kind of subconsciously found their way into the story that now on reflection um, on her own part, it seems painfully obvious to her and many players of the game that this was the case all along right to me that's really interesting because it kind of highlights a point in someone's life that's like full of confusion and anxiety right like i think a lot of works that try to tackle this difficult subject often kind of accumulate with this point of you know this point of revelation at the end where they're like i now fully understand who i am and i'm happy about that right well, this doesn't do that to me, that's a bit more interesting because it shows people at a point in their life where they probably are the most confused. Like, I feel like the people at that point in their life kind of most need this game, right? Like, um, it, it's hard and difficult. I really think that's a fantastic point. Like, you're right. It 
And this is something that's reinforced in Celeste over and over again, um, particularly when we get to chapter nine. Like there's there's no point of snap your fingers. I know who I am now. Like that's just not how it works. No, it's like people are fucking complicated and confusing. Yeah, and you you do it step by step and that doesn't mean that you're not progressing. It just means that uh, it just, it's like you said, it's just complicated. And I think that the confusion and the things that Madeline face demonstrate that you don't, you don't reach a point where it's all happiness and sunshine and rainbows. Immediately. Right. Like it's a, it's a long gradual process. And Mm -hmm. like, to me, I guess I haven't gone through this issue myself, but it seems to me like, you know, the hardest part is like starting to climb that mountain of understanding yourself, not getting to the end, I guess. There is no getting Um, to the end. I don't think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's just, you know, the B sides and the C sides. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think that, so normally James and I do retro video games, right? We do games that are 15 plus years old. And I think that what what we like doing is we like saying, well, old games do this better, but new games do this better. I think it's indisputable that what modern games do better, particularly in the indie space, is the issue of representation. If you look 20, 25 years ago, the vast majority of video games are from a fairly CIS point of view. But in today's world, particularly in the indie space, we have a wide range of views represented. And I want to highlight Celeste as being an example of a game that exposed me to a perspective that I wouldn't otherwise really have been actively exposed to. And I appreciate it for that reason. And I appreciate indie gaming as a whole for that reason. Yeah, I do. I do like when I play something and learn something unexpected. Um, it, it's. I think video games are better when they're more varied. Yeah, so so that's about all we have for story. Um, James, I, I honestly think it's a little early, but I think this might be a good time for a music break. Mm, so when I first played Celeste, I was extremely high on the soundtrack. Um, and when I played Celeste, that was before we started this show. This was years ago now, right? So, or it would have been like maybe right at the start or very close to around the time where we started the show. And since then, we've played over 70 games on the show, and I've been exposed to many brilliant soundtracks and some very mediocre ones. Um, So since then, I think I've come, I've actually come down a bit on the soundtrack overall. Like I'd say it's very firmly in the realm of great, like very good. And there are some like genuine, like, 10 out of 10 songs on the soundtrack. Um, I think that there are some just okay ones as well too, which I noticed a lot more in my second playthrough though, whereas I felt like in my first playthrough, I got really attached to like four specific songs and just thought about them specifically when I, um, you know, played this game. But I, like overall, I still think the soundtrack's great. It does a good job of having the music reflect what's happening on screen with regards to you know, the story and the gameplay um, and the mechanics. So, you know, overall, I'm quite high on it. See, I'm I'm still, I was high when I listened to it the first time and I'm still extremely high. In fact, if anything, I'm higher than I was when mm-hmm. I first listened to it. I think that it's not just that the music in the abstract is enjoyable. I think that the way the music is used as you play through the game is simply phenomenal. So most levels in this game, they're divided into those seven chapters. 
they kind of have two to three distinct phases and the music changes as you go from phase to phase to reflect the um the new challenge that you're facing which which is amazing you you see an evolution of the music as you progress through the chapters in addition to that the b-sides which are more difficult remixes of the main game of the main chapters have completely new music to reflect the fact that you're in a new version of the game well you know, it's, it's not completely B- new music it's remixed music yeah, to go the, along yeah the b-side of the cassette type tape <laughs> yeah exactly which is great in its own way i'd say that my main criticism of the music if i have any is that it doesn't entirely play to the game's strengths once the story has ended like Mm -hmm. um i reckon like as you said like if you listen to the soundtrack when you listen to a single song you'll notice that the song is kind of split into like three chunks yeah because it's like three parts because it's a soundtrack and different parts of that one song play during different bits of the level so like if you kind of consider each like a little chunk as its own song they're only like you know, like a minute long, a minute and a half long, right? So once you beat the story, I would say, you know, I honestly, to me, because I finished the seasides like the first time I played the game and now I'm almost at the end of chapter nine, I spent, you know, like probably like six hours on the story the first time around. This time it was like three. I got through it quite fast. But my save file at the end of my first playthrough was like 60 hours and I spent like, 54 hours in the post like story content and the the post court story content is significantly more challenging than the story like it's really hard like in some levels i will have over a thousand deaths like it's insanely difficult um and because of that you'll often spend like you know like 600 plus deaths on one room with the same song playing so for me once you get to the difficult parts of the game, the soundtrack, like the individual bits on the song being like a minute and a half, is just way too short when you're playing these levels for like an hour straight, I guess. I, I think that's a fair criticism because definitely as I was getting, if I was stuck somewhere, like I could, I would be listening to the music pretty happily, but if I got stuck somewhere, I'd reach a point where I was like, you all right, time, off, right? To, yeah, t- time to take off my headphones for a bit because I, I've been listening to the same track on repeat yeah. about 10 times. <laughs> Forever, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so that is true that when you start getting to the extremely challenging parts of this, this game and you're stuck listening, Listening to it over and over yeah i yeah it, it's not it's not so good that you can listen to the same track for two hours straight <laughs> yeah in some games where it's like there's like a couple rooms where you know this will happen that's kind of forgivable but here i i feel like that's the expected way to play the game is just to die a million times so uh, i think it's like a significant problem like on repeat playthroughs and you know even on your first time through the difficult content so. yeah that the songs aren't 12 minute epics they're um they're yeah three to four minutes long so i would say that there's a bunch of songs on the soundtrack that are just like brilliant like um all of the music that plays during the climactic scenes is exceptional like um during the battle and boss fight spoilers uh the music is fantastic and during the final ascent of the mountain it's just like the most inspiring shit i've ever heard <laughs> right <laughs> well like, the, it's incredible the, the particularly cool thing about that final one is that 
in in that chapter, you're ascending the mountain and you're going through all of the areas you went through earlier in the level. And as you reach each one, you kind of hear a reprise of that theme of the initial theme. So it's kind of like the entire soundtrack, you know, somehow fit into one song. Yeah, I'd I'd also give specific mention to three of the B-side tracks, specifically the resort level, the mirror temple, and uh, reflection, which I think will do a really good job of sounding completely unlike any of the other music in the game, while still fitting and being really enjoyable. So, um, so, so, James, what which one do you want to do for our music break? Yeah, so if I'm going to choose one, I'll have to choose my favorite piece of music on the soundtrack, which is the resort's B-side theme. I just think it's, you know, it's wonderful. I, I love it. Um, with the only time, you know, I would stop listening to it was maybe on the seaside for that level after a few hundred deaths. So we're going to go, we're going to go for our music break. Um, resort B-side. Here it is, guys. Hope you enjoy it. Patrick, I love that song. It's fantastic. I if I if every other song I loved as much as that one, I think it would be an easy ten out of ten soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it as well. Not as much as you do. There are other songs I like more, but it, it's it's difficult for me to criticize any of these pieces of music too harshly. Yeah. Okay. So let's start talking about the gameplay, and we can pick one of Patrick's songs later. Um. So. Uh, I guess we'll go with a brief overview of the level structure and then after we kind of briefly explain how the levels play out and what controls, I want to hone in specifically on um, how Celeste's 
I guess level progression and structure is different from traditional platformers and why I think it's vastly superior. Yeah, so so this is this is an interesting thing. Like we've covered 2D platformers on the show before. We've done Earthworm Jim, Super Mario World, Sonic. But Celeste is a modern 2D platformer and it's very different from all those other games. So yeah. From a big picture level design structure, the key difference is that instead of having a level that you need to get from start to finish of um, with like a couple of checkpoints in between, Celeste has its seven chapters and those chapters are divided into screens, probably about just estimating here 40 to 50 screens a piece. So a screen is simply, uh, as it suggests, it's a big room and uh, the room is on your screen. Often it'll just all fit on your screen at once, but the larger screens will scroll uh, from one end to the other. And at the beginning of every screen, there's a checkpoint. So to move through a chapter in Celeste, there are 40 to 50 screens, and that also means there are 40 to 50 checkpoints. So immediately, this is quite different from, say, Mario, which is, you know, each level will have one sc- one continuous screen that scrolls the whole way through, right? Like, I reckon the majority of this game's, level, like, you know, individual challenges just fit on one screen and the camera never moves the whole screen. Yeah, although that does start to change as you move towards the more difficult content. Uh, those screens yes. start getting a little bit larger to reflect the, I guess, higher momentum and more the fact that you're kind of moving around the screen more. But but yeah. the, the key is it's not... It's not a big level. It's just like a reasonable size screen. It's like a it's like a long series of single rooms that have self-contained puzzles and challenges, platforming yeah. challenges. Yeah, there's nothing. There's like one. There's like a couple things in the entire game um, that require you to do things across screens. But for like ninety nine percent of the content. Like, you only need what's on the screen in order to progress. And it probably takes um, 10 to 20 seconds to clear a screen once you know how to do it. And if you're a speedrunner, far less. But for, for us mortal human beings, literally only once you know how to do it and you on your successful attempt, most screens will take 10 to 20 seconds. And then you have a new checkpoint. It's a very different design philosophy from um, from older platformers, and it's much more in line with Super Meat Boy for those who have played that. And even though Super Meat Boy was divided into levels and each screen was considered a level, it's effectively the same. the The main difference in Celeste is that you generally start in the bottom left hand side of a level, and you're trying to get to the top right hand side of the level because you're you know climbing a mountain, and that's the direction you're climbing. So as you proceed through a chapter, you are moving from screen to screen in an upwards progression, even as each and every screen is self-contained. Yeah, and honestly, out of everything that we're going to talk about on the episode, to me, this structure is the most important part of what makes the game enjoyable to me. Um, I would say the effects that this has on me as a player is that you know often celeste's levels are very difficult right you will die within like two seconds of starting the room um but like when you die there's like there's like a two and a half second respawn time and then you're immediately attempting the room again like there's basically no downtime 
between you know death and you trying again whereas i think if you play something like sonic or mario um you know you dying can put you back to the start of the level potentially which makes you know you take another like five ten minutes to get back up to where you were trying to beat the room in Celeste, you just get to, you know, once you've beaten a room, the game doesn't require you to ever beat it again to finish the level. You just get to always interact with the content you're, that's currently challenging and engaging for you. Um, you know, and I'm content, like, if I'm playing the hard levels and I die, like, a thousand times on one room, it's way less frustrating to me than, you know, in these other games where I have to walk all the way back to the bit that I'm actually trying to beat. The the key here is that, so the baseline difficulty of Celeste is much higher than a Mario or a Sonic. Like, what you're expected to do to get through a screen successfully is, even even as soon as, like, level 2 or 3 is generally way higher than in Mario. In fact, you could say that it's like you're up to like end game Mario challenges, like a castle, by the time you hit level two. The difference is it's way less punishing. If you die in Mario, you go back to the start. In Celeste, you go back five seconds. So the game is able to push the lever on difficulty because it's so unpunishing. And this... And as James said, the structure of the game informs the this decision as well to make the game as difficult as it is, even on the on the chapter A levels. Yeah, and like something really good about the singular room focus um, is something you brought up when we did Sonic the Hedgehog was that often we felt like we couldn't see everything on screen until it was like so close to us that it killed us or slowed us down. Celeste Prison is very zoomed out compared to, you know, Sonic or Mario or something else. So basically all the information you need for the most part is like given to you on the screen. And when the rooms are bigger than just your normal viewport, there's often a set of like binoculars on the ground that you can use to look around the level before you start to attempt it. So uh yeah structurally i really like it the game is just engaging and like addictive even because when you die you're like you get this feeling of damn i almost had it and because it respawns you while you're in the grips of that like it's like a good kind of frustration it like compels you to try again and again and again rather than you know you getting discouraged and it wasting your time i would go one step further and i would say that death is almost how you learn Uh, what to do and how to understand uh, the mechanics of the game. Like, I would say most platformers discourage experimentation because of how punishing it can be to die. Like, they'll often tempt you by saying, oh, here's an extra life over here, but or, you know, here's some bonus coins or whatever it is, but you won't want to do it because if you die, you, you know, you have to go all the way back to the start of the level. So let's says oh here's a strawberry and you actively chase after that strawberry a free bonus because there's no ramifications for death it's about experimenting with your moveset and seeing what you can do seeing what sticks until you figure out what works i think a trap a game like this or a game like super meat boy can fall into where Lots of the levels are often just like walls of spikes and you need to make lots of really precise jumps is that you can often, like, the fear is that you make levels that require exact solutions and that punish experimentation. I think for the most part, 
the screens in Celeste have like more than one solution, especially near the start of the game. And even like when I'm going through chapter nine and I'm struggling on a room and I look up what someone else has done, I find that my solution is different to someone else's. Even, you know, in chapter nine, which is like insanely difficult. Um, I, I think they've done a good job with that in this game. Um, and, you know, being able to try all these different ways of beating a room without fear like you said is you know because it's so like there's no punishment there's no shitty live system which i've gone on record as saying i hate in basically <laughs> all games there's nothing like that you just get to you know constantly play the bits that are engaging yeah you go let's see if this works it's like will my jump plus dash cover this gap i don't know let's see if it works uh, can I? Do I have enough stamina to climb up this wall and jump to that platform? I don't fucking know. Let's see what happens. And that's what you do in Celeste. You try stuff until you find a strategy that works, and then you try to execute it. And I think that incorporating experimentation into a platformer is brilliant, and it does it in a way that never feels frustrating or unfair. Well, occasionally frustrating, but I, I would Pretty say... Pretty often frustrating. Yeah, but... but but never unfair, yeah. Yeah, we, it's like it's like frustrating in the right kind of way, right? Yes. Like there's yeah. Re yeah, some games are frustrating in a really awful way. This game, I feel like almost every single time I die, I know it's my fault. Um, like uh, it puts the frustration in your hands and you have to like learn to deal with that and learn to develop a process for learning the rooms and overcoming them yeah it's very it's very cool it really shows how people learn through experimentation i think better than a lot of other games Let, let's explain a little bit how the absolute basic mechanics of celeste work i think it will better illustrate our point if people understand how it is you control madeline so Madeline's basic mechanics as you control her character are actually very simple. Um, to start with, there's no there's no run button. You move at a constant speed uh, all the time, which is actually fairly slow. You're, you're not going anywhere near as fast as a normal run. It's probably slightly faster than a Super Meat Boy walk or a Super Mario walk. Um, you have a jump, and that jump is not a very l large jump relative to the levels you're in. It's it's quite a small jump. Once again, much smaller than Mario, Sonic, Super Meat Boy, etc. Um, Madeline has two, I guess, special moves apart from walking around and jumping. She has a climb and a dash. So the way her climb works is if you're on a wall, you can hold down a button to grip to it, and you can climb up and down that wall and jump off it. Uh, and you have a stamina bar, not not a visible one, but there's a stamina bar that restricts how long you can climb. It works pretty much the same as in Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, if your stamina runs out, you'll start flashing red and you'll start sliding down the side of the slope. So you have the ability to climb up the sides of most platforms um, until your stamina runs out. And finally, and most importantly, the thing that defines Madeline and Celeste as a platformer is the dash. So Madeline has a eight directional dash. You can go any of the cardinal directions plus a diagonal in diagonal directions, which gives her a burst of speed that she can use in midair. Um, importantly, once you've used your dash, your hair turns from red to blue and you can no longer dash again until you either land on the ground you dash over a special crystal that re you move over a crystal which refills your dash and resets your stamina for more climbing 
or you interact with one of the many objects in the world that resets your dash. So I can't believe Celeste stole the crystal from Doom Eternal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Do- Doom Eternal, the original platformer that uh, the game such as Celeste ripped off. <laughs> yeah, so, so as James said, Doom Eternal uh, ripped off Celeste port badly in this department. But the idea is that Madeline has a bunch of ways to reset her dash without landing on the ground. And the level design is built in this way. There's a bunch of objects in the world. There are bubbles. There are bumpers you can collide with. There are star blocks that you can dash through to get a bunch of momentum. And every time you move through or interact with these objects, you also get your dash uh, meter and your stamina climb meter reset. So what this all adds up to is that Madeline at a baseline, has a very simple moveset. She can run, jump, climb, and dash. However, the way the level design works and the way the level design escalates is that that limited moveset is pushed to its absolute limit in increasingly complicated and eventually ludicrous ways to the point where you get levels where you will be platforming for a minute and a half without ever touching the ground and you'll have dashed 20 times in that time period. So even though the basics of how to control Madeline are extremely simple, the game objects in the world create quite a complicated set of variables for you to interact and try and solve these levels. Simple but deep is a great way to describe the game. Like... um... All of the mechanics and all of the little like building blocks that make up the levels, I feel when they added them to the game, they spent a long time trying to find ones that had a lot of depth to them, a lot of ways that can be used in a dozen different ways. Like my favorite little mechanic or like obstacle, I guess, in the game is one of the, the probably like the first one they introduce. Um, which is these little blocks with a traffic light on them. And basically, when you jump on, when you land on the block, the block very rapidly accelerates along its track and then comes to a complete stop at the end of the track and then, like, slowly ticks back to its start position. And at the beginning, this is very simple. It's just a moving platform, effectively. And then as you do the level, you discover that if you jump during the acceleration, you will retain momentum and gain a heap of distance on your jump. Um, you can do this while grabbing onto the side of them. You know, they can have things like springs and spikes on top of them. And this mechanic is used all the way, you know, through the difficult levels as well, even in chapter nine. And just constantly there's more and more design space that is shown to the player with this just very simple mechanic and i'd say that's true for you know the vast majority of the obstacles in this game they're very very simple at a basic level and then they are just you know pushed upwards and upwards forever and it feels like you know there's no end to what can be done with these like interesting little obstacles i would say one of the most um to give an example of how that can be a deeper mechanic than might first appear uh the idea is that the blocks accelerate very rapidly and you have to um and when you you know if you wait till it gets to the top you'll get a massive burst of speed however when you start getting to the more later levels it will put you in scenarios where 
if you get the full boost of speed, Madeline will go flying into the spikes on the roof. So you have to time your jump off the block where there's a little bit of momentum instead of a lot of momentum. Or there's a level on the seaside of the, of the first one where instead of using the acceleration from the fast speed boost, you instead have to use the tiny bit of momentum you get from the block slowly sliding back into place. So there's very much, as you play through the game, it will always first present you the simple version of using the mechanic, but the further you get into the game, the more it will explore all aspects of the mechanic and expect you to master all aspects of the mechanic, and the depth and complexity of it just unfolds the more and more you play. Yeah, it's an interesting balance because I don't think, like... I think with platformers, you can go a bunch of different ways to make a good platformer. Like um, with level design, you know, we've played something like Super Mario World where it feels like every few steps they introduce a new concept and then immediately throw that concept away or like they use it for like maybe half a level and then you never see it again. Like there's just hundreds of, you know, exciting things to find through the levels. And then there's games where they introduce like three mechanics and you'll spend like three hours with the one mechanic with it slowly getting more and more interesting. And I think I, I like the middle ground that Celeste has landed on. Like each level has about, you know, usually three gimmicks, maybe four um, and, you know, the level will vary it up. So while, you know, a given level, you'll mostly play with the same gimmicks, there is a bit of reprieve from each mechanic because it's like it's changing itself up enough, but still exploring the mechanic enough to be interesting. And then like the next level you do, you won't see those three mechanics again. Most of the time you'll see three brand new ones, but then the levels, you know, it's like 20 minutes long. So they'll get a decent amount of mileage out of each one. And then once you beat the game, you get to start playing the levels again from the start, but the harder versions of that, and you go through it again, but there's like another level. So, you know, you come back to the first level and then again, they, you know, start exploring these traffic-like blocks, but to an even greater degree. And then, you know, you finish the game again a second time, and then <laughs> you finish the game a third time. Yeah, it's just, it's really good. I never felt mechanic fatigue from seeing the same idea too much, but I was always impressed with how they managed to escalate the depth of these things, like from screen to screen. So to me, it's a really nice middle ground. Yeah, like James said, it's it's pretty much bang on. Like uh, they explore it, they explore it well in the base game and they continue to explore them further. If anything, I think that they could have gone even crazier with combining things, but I think the way that Celeste would rather create smaller uh, self-contained challenges is discouraging from putting you know 30 things on one screen like they'd rather put five things on a screen and um, expect you to get those five things right than yeah. just cram a bunch of things together especially near the end where it feels like to beat some of the levels you need like perfect close to perfect knowledge of the mechanic only having like two max on screen at once is kind of a good way of keeping it all in your brain as you're trying to beat the level whereas i feel like you know if they used 10 mechanics in one screen it would be chaos like it would be hard to keep track of all the you know the little 
tiny details that you need to know to beat the level. So um, just returning to something you said earlier, which is that uh, I would say it's interesting. When we're talking about Celeste, I think the temptation with 7A is to call it a precision platformer, right? We've said that the precision required is much, much higher than something like Mario, for example, um, in order to go through the levels. But the truth is, when you consider how quickly you respawn and how unpunishing the game is, I don't think it's fair to call seven, uh, so the first seven chapters, are the, the A-sides, the main game, as a precision platformer. I think that making your way through Celeste, for the most part, is less about precision and more about conceptually understanding what it is you need to do on the level. And while technically the precision required is higher, I feel like the the low punishment almost balances that out to a more reasonable level. When you're playing through the main game, you very rarely need to make like a precise jump between spikes. And when you do, it will be like, do these two precise jumps through spikes and then you immediately get a new checkpoint. I, I remember there's one part in chapter seven where you need to do some you know a couple of precise jumps hitting crystals and then it just gives you a checkpoint straight away so i feel like one of the interesting things about this game is that it really is more about understanding and maximizing madeline's moveset at first as opposed to being super precise yeah i think the difficult the way the difficulty curve is structured like from a you know a high level point of view is really good like I think it's not, you know, a coincidence that the story ends at the end of the A-sides. Like, I think that ending the story before the game, you know, before shit really hits the fan difficulty-wise is a good thing. It lets basically anyone, you know, experience the story. Obviously, some people struggle with the story. I definitely did my first try through. But if you persevere, it's definitely a manageable challenge. Um, and then, you know, all the really difficult content doesn't get you out of the story it's it's also worth noting that the game comes with an assist mode that you can just toggle on at any time with no punishment of any kind or recognition of what you've done whatsoever so if something is too hard for you or you just can't be bothered dealing with it you just be like yep i'm just gonna effectively skip this and go on to the um go on to the next level and you can just can yeah it's very accessible to an understanding of the player so you know there's just you know you can just skip rooms with it if you know they're too hard um something that i really like about this game and that lots of other games do extremely poorly is this idea of catering to both your like casual audience and like your hardcore audience at the same time like i think a lot of games do this terribly like for example when i played through one of the recent mario games on like on switch um, i don't think it was odyssey or it might have been like the wii u super mario um something that bothered me was that i needed to play like 12 hours of the game before it became challenging for me like it was like i had to put in this like 12 hours of work before i could get to the part of the gameplay that's fun um i think that they do this very gracefully by including lots of difficult optional challenges throughout the the a sides in the form of the strawberry challenges mm -hmm. so basically off the main path of the story there'll be these extra rooms that have a strawberry that you need to collect by 
um, basically grabbing it and then landing firmly on the ground or get to the start of the room. And these challenges will generally be much harder than... Maybe slightly harder is probably a better way to put it. I, I think I... Some, of the, some of them are pretty challenging. Like, even on my repeat playthrough, I found some of them hard, especially compared to the main game. Um, but I guess to me, what this does is, like, if the story's not super challenging for you, there's always these, like, little, you know, reprieves where you can actually get some engaging content before you get to the B-sides or whatever. And I think, uh, you know, having these for players you know, who want to try a bit harder is good without, you know, making the main game too difficult for the average player. See, it's interesting. So I, I didn't, I don't think the strawberries are much more challenging than the main game. I, I agree that they're a little bit more challenging, but I think that they're, for the most part, with, with one or two strawberries aside, they're only slightly more challenging than the main content of the game what mm. what i took from these strawberries which i thought was very interesting is that i think they are intrinsically enjoyable to complete i i think um i think that a lot of games would feel compelled to give you some kind of meaningful upgrade or reward it's like here we're doing a challenge you know a lot of old games these would be extra lives or whatever but Celeste is such a joy to play and it's so fun just to play the game that the game can reward you with a meaningless strawberry and I still got you know literally two-thirds of the strawberries on my on my playthrough this time despite playing the game main game through twice before just because the fun of platforming to get those strawberries was a reward in and of itself. Yeah, like uh, lots of collectibles in games will be, you know, they'll be hidden in a little room or something. And there's stuff like that in Celeste. But I think the game having the confidence in itself that it is just fun to play and just giving you more of the game to play rather than some tacked on thing to get a collectible feels good. Like it feels really good. And I guess with that, I kind of want to talk a little bit about like specifics about the way Madeline controls that makes it feel good to play. Because mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things as a platformer, and I, you know, I listened to some developer interviews and they, they said this in one of their interviews, which I strongly believe, is that when developing the platformer, they had this feeling that we need to make it so if you were just in a completely blank room with nothing in it, um, and just had the character, like, that it would be fun to play. Like, it would be fun to use the character's moveset even when there's nothing. Um, and I think that's mostly true here because Madeline feels incredible to control. Like, um, you turn on a dime, there's barely any... Like, when you walk, there's barely any acceleration time. You almost instantly go to full speed. When you let go of the stick you slow down, you decelerate even faster. It's almost instant. You have good this air is, control. You've got a good air control. Like when you're jumping through the air, letting go of the stick, you almost immediately start dropping straight down rather than maintaining this huge arc. But while you're jumping, you know, how long you held the jump button, which direction you were pushing the stick. Like you have all of these little bits of control over the character's movement which feels really good. And I play Celeste on the Switch specifically, and I think the feedback that you get from dashing, like there's the after images, there's the screen shake on, you know, on console, there's the rumble. 
um, and you know the, the little sound effect is is fantastic. Like I love the sound and the visual feedback of the dash. Um, a- another one is that after you dash, you do you can kind of like reverse the momentum to a degree, or you can continue yeah. with the momentum. Like you you even have control as your dash ends. Um, what what you're going to do after your dash yeah and again that's like a big part of how they push the mechanics so far is because there's all this like you know this nuance to it that isn't apparent when you first start playing the game um and you know it just feels really good to control it feels good to jump around i feel like they spent hours and hours and hours like tweaking tiny numbers to get it into this spot I never have a problem with how the game feels to control. The the design this I firstly I completely agree with you. I I think that Madeline controls beautifully and I enjoy controlling her pretty much more than any other platforming character. Um an interesting comparison is Hollow Knight and Hollow Knight was was designed farm. I know it's not a pure platformer but it, it does have platforming sections. It was modeled far more after Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which means that there is literally zero momentum like it controls perfectly tightly but in the end having actual zero momentum and start up time to your run and stop time ends up feeling worse than having a little bit like a tiny amount like madeline does yeah this this game celeste is the reason i can't finish hollow knight like i started hollow knight and i was like this is a fun game and then during that time, I picked up Celeste, finished it, you know, got to the end of the seasides. And then when I picked up Hollow Knight, I was like, this feels like ass now in comparison. Like, I just, I hate the way it feels to control. Like, I hate, I hate that his dash is always horizontal. It feels so janky and like bootleg. It doesn't, it doesn't feel as nice to control. And it just, like, it's in the back of my head the whole time I'm playing that game to the point where I just don't want to play it anymore. <laughs> Like I quite like the controls of Hollow Knight, but um, as a platformer, Hollow Knight is clearly worse than Celeste. And I wish that the dash was at least cancelable in Hollow Knight. Like everything else is cancelable, but the dash is always a preset distance. But but the point is that Celeste feels great because of that tiny amount of momentum. Um, and it's nothing as bad. You know, I I was thinking about another world and how when you stop running or try to start running, it takes several it seconds. Takes, yeah. <laughs> and Celeste Meat Boy's a bit like that too. And Sonic yeah. is Sonic is even ex- more extreme because of how long it takes to get to full speed, but that's kinda like, you know, the challenge of the game. And like there's there's obviously like obviously the way Meat Boy and Sonic do their momentum works well for their games. And it's, you know, there's no one best way to do this, but I think this is my favorite way to do this. Like it just feels like I have close to perfect control of my character. Like when we played Castlevania one the first time and like you jump and you have zero air control until you land, it's just like a leap of faith. You know, that's like the polar opposite of this game. See, it's not just the intrinsic control of Madeline either. It's how they've put a lot of care into trying to make it less about pixel precision and more about interpreting Mm. what it is you want to do. I think the most famous of these with Celeste is the fact that you can do what they call a roadrunner jump. If you run off the edge of a platform and press jump, you will jump in midair off that platform because they didn't want you to just run and slide off the platform because you were slightly off. If you 
are on an object that confers momentum, like those traffic light blocks that James was talking about, and you press the jump key a little bit late, you will still gain the momentum as if you had pressed it as it hit the apex. The game is very forgiving in trying to translate your intentions to what actually happens in the game. And while that can actually throw you off a little bit when you start getting into the advanced mechanics, uh, by that point, there's an expectation that you understand the rules of momentum in the world and how it translates. So it's less painful than you might think. Yeah, I really like stuff like how the bottom of the screen doesn't kill you for until you're quite deep into the bottom of the screen. It's very forgiving like that. Like if you press jump like a pixel before you hit the ground, it will make you jump when you land. So yep. it doesn't feel like, you know, your input got missed or something like that. Yeah, in, instead of like buffering the input or whatever, it's, yep, you hit jump, so you're going to jump now. Like it, it's yeah. a small thing, but it makes the world of difference when you're actually playing and controlling Madeline. Yeah, and if you like, if you dash into like the top corner of a block, you'll kind of like wrap around the top and onto the platform, hmm. so you don't just bonk into it and then fall. I think this game, if it didn't have these dozens of little, you know, little edge cases that they've specifically coded in to make the game feel more forgiving and better would be extremely frustrating like and it's one of the reasons they can make the levels so difficult is because um they've gone out of their way to make it always feel like it's your fault when you die and never the fault of the game which you know i feel like obviously in a lot of cases like if you press jump a pixel before touching the ground that is technically your fault but in the in the heat of the moment you don't feel that way you think it's the game's fault so they just deferred to the side of the player and a, an interesting consequence of this for me is that the very hard levels expect you to know and abuse these things because you can abuse these things if you're you know playing correctly and i guess this is something that is interesting and helpful to both like new players and players who are pushing the limits of the game like it's fun for both sides of the you know the spectrum the uh the developers had a mario rom hack background and you can absolutely tell that based on playing these games <laughs> yeah. where there's an expectation that when you get to the late game stuff that you really push the mechanics to the absolute limits well well i say to their limits and then you watch a speedrunner and you realize that what you're doing is literally only a fraction of what the top players are doing but it feels like you're pushing them to their limits yeah and that's a good thing right like you feel it feels good to overcome these sometimes like ins insane feeling challenges like when you have to chain the advanced mechanics together because this game has like it's got like hidden mechanics that aren't of it's like if you've played like super metroid or the witness spoilers <laughs> there's like there's things you can do from the very beginning of the game that are like non-obvious and uh, we can talk about that but i think it's time for a music break oh uh, but before before we do i just had one more um concept about the basic mechanics i just wanted to talk a little bit about celeste and momentum because we, we've touched on it a little bit, but I think this is something that I want to bring up because I think it's something that Celeste does literally better than any other platform I've ever played. And that's that Celeste has a fantastic sense of speed and momentum to all the things you're doing. Um, you play, and I'm not saying like Sonic obviously is a game that kind of has momentum, although it often felt like 
you know, the game was trolling me every time I wanted to go fast. I think Celeste delights in you going fast and accelerating in different directions. And I think that a lot of the levels are specifically designed so that when you successfully complete a level, it feels like one smooth flowing momentum thing from start to finish but i think it's not i think it's very specifically not so fast that you lose control right i mean it happens yeah yeah like it's it's just fast enough that it's like exhilarating not so fast that you always feel like you're you know you can't think while you're moving i guess well Um, like for example um very early on in level two you get introduced to the star blocks which i think are one of the best ways to preserve your momentum when you a star block is a big block that when you dash into it will kind of like continue you moving you through the block in that direction until you exit out the other side and when you do exit out the other side you exit with a bit of momentum and then you can dash again so one of the things the game does is it puts several of these star blocks in a row so that you can dash from one to the other. And every time you emerge out the side of another star block, you have your dash back. So you can immediately dash again. So on a fairly large level, you can go be dashing and jumping through these star blocks and you basically can fly through the level in as little as five to ten seconds and you've done so extremely quickly. Yeah, like the game knows how much more fun the dashes compared to a traditional double jump which is somewhat Mm -hmm. you know limiting it's in a fixed arc often you know maybe you have a bit of control over the the angle but uh there's just way more you can do with a straight line eight-way dash than you can with a double jump and the game knows that and basically like the majority of the obstacles like the springs the bumpers the blot star blocks like will reset your dash so you get to use it very often in the game mm-hmm. um and i i really like that because you know you often get to a room and you've got you look at it and you're like all right so i'll jump here i'll spend my first dash like here so i can get this crystal and then i'll spend my second dash like here yeah and it's like a big puzzle of figuring out where to use I'll your dash dashes this bubble and, and, ha- when I come and how out to re- bubble i can dash and how- again yeah yeah and how to re- it's like figuring out where to use it how to reset it where to use the next one it's like a loop looping kind of logic which i like well what's really interesting is that i think the game starts off and there's a lot of safe areas for you to stand you know standing resets your dash standing lets you sit there and do nothing but the further you get into the game the more the game laughs at you for wanting a safe spot to stand and by the time you get to the really late game comment there's more spikes than safe surfaces on the screen but it doesn't feel unfair it's just that once you learn to abuse the power of the dash you just realize how much how much movement you can safely get out of your your move set when there are so many objects in the world that reset your dash and climb yeah it's it's really quite something i just uh, yeah i really i really enjoy the dash it it feels great it sounds it looks great um and it has like infinite gameplay ramifications throughout the game it's wonderful anyway james you said music break sorry to interrupt i just wanted yeah to yeah well you 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 can you can keep talking because this is your choice so i imagine you have something to say about the soundtrack and the one you chose yeah so i as i said earlier i'm extremely high on the soundtrack uh the song i'm going with is uh, the song I'm going with is Fear of the Unknown, 
which is the very first song that plays at the beginning of the chapter nine farewell DLC. Um, I like I like the vast majority of the music in this game, but there's something I think very touching about this piece. It's somehow both kind of like beautiful and melancholic while also being anxiety inducing. And it's a very interesting track that I think stands in contrast with the main game soundtrack. But I just found something quite beautiful and touching about the way the violins come in. It's uh I've only started listening to it recently, but I, I think this track, Fear of the Unknown, is excellent. I think it's the best on the DLC soundtrack, and it's my top three in the soundtrack overall. So here is Fear of the Unknown. Well, that was Fear of the Unknown, and I, you know, it's definitely the best song on the DLC soundtrack. I'm actually pretty low on the DLC soundtrack compared to the main game, actually, but I do like this one as well. Um, I'm surprised you didn't go with the Mirror Temple theme, Patrick. You love that, and I love that. That would have been my second choice. Yeah, I, I do like that one a lot as well. It's just, I guess I've spent more time playing chapter nine than i have the main game almost so it's it's resonating more with me but when i finished the game for the first time i finished the main game the b-sides maybe two or three c-sides i think three c-sides and then i did the start of chapter nine when it was released i was like man this is way too hard for me and stopped 
Uh, this time round, I did everything except for um, the golden strawberry. So I did all of chapter nine, all the B sides, all the C sides, and oh boy, was it was it tough. I think I clocked seventy five hundred deaths total over over the entire game and this is coming from someone who's you know beaten the main game twice and the b-sides once so i wasn't exactly coming in completely fresh or anything so and yeah yeah it's hard hey and i i love the b and the c-sides like to me after the story is most of the game <laughs> um even though you know maybe there's just as many rooms total you spend so long on each room because it's so damn hard um so like we've kind of spoken about it briefly but basically during the the main story each level contains like a, a cassette tape which you can find hidden in the level which will unlock um, a more difficult version of the level the b-side which you know again second side of the cassette has its own music and remixed level and the the the, the gap in difficulty between the story level and the b-side is like gigantic like i'd almost say it's borderline a flaw with the game that you know the b-sides don't ramp up in difficulty as gently as they should but you know from then on i think it's a gradual difficulty progression which they do much more you know gracefully yeah i i agree i think this is one of the few missteps that celeste actually makes uh the difficulty curve throughout the main game is fantastic the difficulty jump from a-sides to b-sides is just too high and I think that, unfortunately, a lot of people play the main game, see what the B-sides are like, and then don't pursue it any further just because the difficulty gap is just too high in those areas. And I wish that there was... I mean, I think I think 1B and 2B are pretty reasonable, but everything after that really starts getting yeah. way too high. Yeah. Like, for, for example, there'll be a mechanic like on on 4a there are snowballs that are flying towards you right um and you're meant to dodge those snowballs however you, what you can do if you time it perfectly is you can jump on top of a snowball to reset your dash the b side says yep you have to do that if you want to if you want to beat this this screen you have to time jumping on top of the snowball to reset your dash in addition to all this stuff earlier in the level and i think that it it just goes too far in terms of demanding precision from the player when up until that point precision was always on the on the back seat and wasn't nearly as important to the celeste experience yeah critically i think it has to get to this point eventually yes. like there's no there's no avoiding it becoming of a precision platformer with the difficulty increase it's just the curves a bit off maybe you know, they could have maybe the A, B, and C could have gently sloped up a bit more. Like seven B is really difficult, and also I think the B sides are probably maybe a bit too long. They're almost like exhaustingly long, um, and because they're so difficult. The, like, yeah, there it takes you longer to do a B side than an A side. Like it might be, they might be you know two thirds in terms of length of an A side, but the increased difficulty means that it takes easily twice as long uh some of the b-sides on this playthrough the later ones took me like 500 deaths <laughs> to yeah. get past where yeah. whereas the entire main game was like somewhere between 800 and a thousand so yeah it, it is very hard yeah and then after the b-sides of course most important part of the game the c-sides <laughs> uh, which but, is even even harder right but but it's far more reasonable but because at this point you've done the b-sides and i don't think the c-sides in terms of what's demanded of you ends up being 
enormously more difficult. The The big yeah. difference with the Seasides, well, there's two big differences. The Seasides are only three screens long each and kind of four screens long on reflection because they give you a checkpoint, thank God, at one point. But they're, they're very short with the final screen of each being very long, like particularly 7C is like a minute and a half of platforming to get through. But the other thing that the seasides do is that the seasides start demanding you use some of the more technically advanced mechanics in the game. Um, the big one of which is wall kicking off a dash, which is something that you're never required to do in the main game and has to be kind of taught to you how to do to get through it's 7B. I think they teach you how to do it 7B and the, the like near the end of the B side. Yeah. So what you can do is if you kind of like dash into a vertical wall and then immediately jump, it kind of mean it kind of reflects your momentum and retains it so you'll get a lot of height and and length. You kind of can can curve off to the side after you do it as well. Yeah, you get a lot of lot of distance by doing this and you know, there'll be like a four pixel sized cube that you have to like with spikes on top and on the sides that you have to like perfectly dash into and kick off in order to complete these levels. And that's the only way to beat these levels. Like that's how hard it gets later on. And then, you know, even in, in chapter nine, it's like they take, they start taking that for granted. And that's just a basic thing you do. Yeah, well, ch chapter nine's mechanic is, of course, wave dashing. And this is once again, advanced mechanic, as James said, that is just in the game that you can use from level one if you know about it. So, you know, earlier on, we said that when you um, do a dash, you need to either hit an item or land on the ground to reset your dash. What Celeste lets you do is that if you do a dash diagonally down into the ground, and then jump as you are about to, um, shortly after you touch the ground, you will get a big speed boost from the dash where you land into the ground, but you will also reset your dash because technically you landed on the ground. So you get a big jump forwards and you also have your dash to use again. And as you can imagine, getting a bunch of free distance on levels that are tightly designed around you know you having exactly one dash at this point seems completely broken and in fact if you go back and play the game with knowledge of the wave dash you can completely invalidate most of the challenges yeah, given to you it's great there's there's so many rooms that you can just cheese with the advance like the wall jumps and like the the hyper dash and the wave dash there's all sorts of stuff like that that you have you know technically you can do it right from the very first level but you don't know these things exist yeah um, and but but the thing that's interesting is that chapter nine doesn't just give you the wave dash and say isn't this a cool thing you can do the game demands that you master that wave dash the game demands that you master the up wall kick. It's like, yes, this is now a mechanic that you're expected to know how to use, and the levels are going to be designed as if this was part of your arsenal. Good luck. Here's here's a here's a level, and there's like a wall up up in the distance, facing away from you. That is your starting point for that level. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, it's like this whole level is just you need to perfectly chain three wave dashes and a wall dash together. And that's the only way to beat the room. Like that's right at the start of where they teach you how to do it. It's like, yeah, you just you just have to spend like a hundred deaths on this room like, so, until you can do it. So the question I have for you, James, is that now I, I think we're agreed that the jump from 
the A sides to the B sides is too much. And everything after that is kind of fair game. So when when nine when chapter nine was released, they were thinking about releasing it as like a paid DLC, but when it turned out as difficult as it was, they ended up releasing it for free because they didn't want fans of the game to pay for the DLC and then let it be too hard. My question for you is, given it's introducing these more complicated mechanics, do you think that Chapter 9 should have had a more gentle difficulty curve than what's presented here? Now, I'm not saying should it not be difficult at all. I'm more saying... Do you think it could have escalated more gently into the kind of end game stuff it demands of you? Or do you think it's fine that it like almost immediately demands from you, all right, here's this super precise advanced technical thing. You have to do this to proceed in the level. To be blunt, I really don't like how this level is just one level. It's not split up into A side, B side, C side, because I think it violates that idea that anyone can see the story. Um, like I think, you know, tying the the final story progression to stuff that's like basically like D side level is kind of mean. I guess I don't know. It just seems not right to me. I I'd imagine that it's not that bad in practice because really the only people who get to chapter nine are the people who have beaten like chapter eight, which is like an unlockable level that you have to do heaps of the hard challenges to even get to so you, you have to complete like you have to get 15 hearts unless you use like this intentional exploit to skip the heart gate so there is an expectation that you at least beat the b-sides yeah so i like anybody who's getting through the heart gate on chapter nine like has probably gone through all the c-sides right like I would recommend it. <laughs> it's like, the, the way I would describe chapter nine is that I don't actually think it's necessarily harder, except in a couple of instances, but mostly, yeah, I wouldn't say it's strictly harder than the B or C sides. It's more like it's all of the B and C sides put together in one level. Like it, it's just a continuous stream of B and C sides. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, it's yeah. I, I like, for example, I think that seven C specifically is probably still the hardest level in the game, but it's definitely up there. I'd imagine there's bits in chapter nine that are harder than that level. Maybe seven C is just so long and requires precision from start to finish. Yeah, I, I feel like if I did it again now, like it would take me a hundred deaths still, but not 300 deaths yeah, this, you know this I mean? is my first time doing it i guess which is why i found <laughs> yeah. it so hard oh yeah it took me like a week to beat that one room like the first time i did it but um like chapter nine like i feel like i have i'm much more precise and intentional with like the directions i put on the analog stick now uh and i think that you have to be when you start wave dashing and wall jumping at the same time mm -hmm. i think a lot of the rooms kind of demand that kind of precision and for you to master it yeah it's interesting i it's probably not a problem overall just because you know the people who are playing this level probably are already down for that kind of challenge anyway right yeah i have to say i do mostly agree with you and i know that that's just coming from my perspective as a person who enjoys this kind of challenge but I have to say, one of the things I really like about Chapter 9 is that the game continues to challenge you and demands that you improve your skills. The game is never just a cakewalk that you do with your eyes closed. The game is always a struggle, always a challenge. And I like that about video games. I like 
when games demand my intention and make things it makes things much more interesting like some people will play a game like red dead redemption 2 and red dead redemption 2 is this big 60 hour long game with this involved narrative and everything but from what i've seen of it it's not a mechanically demanding game it's more about the experience I far prefer what a game like Celeste does. Um, my final playtime for the entire game clocked in at thirty hours, which is like half of what Red Dead, which is half of what Red Dead Redemption Two requires. But all of those thirty hours was filled with engaging, difficult gameplay that I had to struggle to overcome. And in the end, I just prefer that kind of experience from video games than one that is just a gentler, um, easier experience mechanically that never evolves in favour of story. Yeah, me too. Like, I'd say if you're not down for bashing your head against a wall, like, repeatedly to beat, like, lots of levels, because that's the that's the core experience of this, then you might not enjoy this game. Yeah, so the, fir- the, A- the A-sides are for everyone, I think. I think vast majority of people will get um, a lot of enjoyment out of the A-sides, whether they're experienced with platformers or not. But in a lot of ways, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Celeste. Like, I would say the time... Like, I would I spend at least eighty percent of my time with the post game content. Yeah. So it it just depends what you're after. If you're kind of not really into this kind of experience, you can buy Celeste as a you know six to eight hour game for your first playthrough and have a really good time. But if you you can also buy Celeste as a forty hour or fifty hour experience if you are more engaged with the more. I guess hardcore or difficult or challenging parts. Yeah, of the it's game. interesting. When I remember when I first played this game because everyone was talking about how great it was, and I got to the end of the story and was like, yeah, "That was enjoyable." It wasn't like, you know, this ten out of ten game that everyone else is saying it is. And then, you know, it was during the B and the C sides where I really fell in love with the gameplay. I think, like, I think. If you just play the story, or at least, you know, for me, if I had just played the story, I wouldn't be anywhere near as high on this game as I am having gone through all the challenging content. Um, And I'd also say that, like, Celeste isn't, like, a super flashy revolutionary game. It's like, it's like it's taken what has worked in the past and just refined the hell out of it. Like, when I you know, was playing the game, I never got this sense that this is something incredibly revolutionary or, like, some exciting mechanic. It was just, like, you know, a good mechanic after good mechanic. And only after going back and playing other platformers did I realize just how good it was. Like, uh, I think the first time I played the game, I took the idea of there being so many checkpoints for granted. And then when I went to play like Super Mario World or something like that, I realized just how much better that shit is than how, you know, every other game did it. And then, you know, it made other games feel bad in comparison rather than you know, my initial experience with the game being this, like, mind-shatteringly good thing. <laughs> to, to me, it takes what's present in Super Mario uh, ROM hacks and refines it to a far better yeah. product. Like, this this is what... If Super Mario ROM hacks were a full, proper game, this is what they would be. And uh, it's it's brilliant. And I've only played, like, one Mario ROM hack, but I've played a fair bit of um, Mario Maker, 
but yeah, you can just see see the see the DNA from start to finish in in its design principles and its frequent checkpoints and everything. Yeah, like on the whole, I would mostly recommend this game for people who are who like challenging themselves and you know repeatedly trying and failing over and over. Like, if that's not the kind of game that sound appealing to you, I probably wouldn't recommend you know even just the story, um, just because I think you know, most of the engagement comes from that really challenging stuff later on. So with that, I think it's time for another music break that we added during editing after realizing that uh, we went a bit too long without giving you guys another one. So here's a a good chance to listen to the Mirror Temple B-side. It's definitely uh, my second favorite track on the the whole soundtrack, and I think it's Patrick's number one. Um, So this is Mirror Temple B-side. I do want to talk a bit briefly going back to chapter 9 about some criticisms I have about certain parts of the gameplay in general um because I don't want to because I love this game but I don't want to like only praise it so something I think the game does really well is that often the challenging content is very obvious about what you need to do like sometimes you need to try a little bit but once you've died like four times you kind of understand what path you need to take and then it's like a matter of tightening up your gameplay and lots of the lots of the mechanics are very like the bumper for example if i land on the top of the bumper i always go straight up on the side i always go straight to the side it's very it's almost like digital like there's only like eight possible scenarios you know probably more but it's not like a purely analog circle where every single point on the bumper sends me in a different direction and i think that's good um i felt like the two mechanics they introduced in chapter nine the jellyfish and the puffer fish were a lot more fiddly in that regard like obviously the puffer fish the top and the bottom are distinct but i felt like there was so much like give 
and so much opportunity to fuck it up um, that it was a lot more frustrating than I found most, like any of the other challenges in Chapter 9 were the ones that featured those two mechanics. I felt like there was less time in the oven with those two to really, you know, that thing where they translate the player's intent rather than what's happening on the screen feels like it didn't have that level of polish because I felt like I died a lot and I felt like it wasn't entirely my fault at times, you know, even though it probably was, but I got that feeling a lot more with those mechanics than I did anywhere else um, and it kind of soured the mechanics for me a bit. That's kind of interesting because I, so I love the jellyfish. The jellyfish is like a parachute that uh, you can dash into to kind of extend the length and height of your movement and you'll, you know, float up into the air and float slowly to the ground when you've got it. A lot of the puzzles and platforming challenges require you to be throwing this jellyfish around off springs and, you know, picking it up again at critical moments. And I really liked it. Like I, um, I'd say that the bits where you're carrying around Theo, are some of my favorite parts of the game, particularly the B, the B and C side and tapes. The Theo bits are a good example. Cause he's a big crystal that you grab and you carry around. It feels like with Theo, if you're in his general area and you press grab, you'll pick him up. Whereas I felt like, Oftentimes, my character model was touching the jellyfish and I pressed grab and it didn't grab it. Like, you have to be very precisely near the center of it to grab it. So I actually looked this up. Um, that's not actually what it is, but there is something funky about the jellyfish. So the re-grab time for Theo after you throw him is one-tenth of a second. The re-grab time for the jellyfish is like three-tenths of a second. So right. it's yeah, that very, explains it. if you immediately try to grab it, like the moment you let go of it, you'll just go straight through it. Yeah, um, that and happened I to me a lot. Yeah, I don't know why they made this change because I agree with you. The lower grab time on Theo it makes it bad. feel a lot better. Yeah. yeah, but but the jellyfish is actually quite generous in terms of its grab hitbox. It's just that you need to be aware that there's like the, the re-grab time is delayed. And once you realize that, you can play around it. But I, I guess specifically with the jellyfish, the levels that annoyed me were ones where you needed to throw it at a wall and grab it again mm. quite quickly. That I de What you just said is definitely why I died like a hundred yep. times in that room because I didn't understand that and it's not clear to the player. That's a problem, right? Yeah. Yes, 100% it is. Um, and But it, to be fair... Once you understand it, it's actually fine from a mechanical point of view. But the fact that it doesn't explain it to you, the fact that it's just reasonable to assume it would function the same as Theo, and so you treat it as such, is a problem. It should communicate that clearer to a, to the player. Yeah, but but once once you know it, I will say that it, it it all of a sudden becomes much easier to grok and flow through the level. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad I found that online before I was finished. Um, as for the puffer fish, I um the problem I had with the puffer fish with the puffer fish at first is that I didn't realize that holding down jump while you were ricocheting off them increased the amount of acceleration you got from the fish. Yeah. Uh, once again, it's almost like a semi-hidden mechanic that it doesn't communicate clearly to the player. I mean, the springs, like all of the other. Uh, the springs like the, the springs don't but the bumpers no, the springs do. definitely do absolutely do like i ran into this problem where i couldn't beat levels in chapter nine and then i figured out that holding jump on a spring made you go uh i i just figured 
that are oh right right i meant i was thinking of sideways springs which i don't think make you go further but you just can continue your initial momentum from the spring if you hold down jump i'm unsure yeah i'm unsure of that specific but yeah yeah, vertically definitely but but i found that the jellyfish ended up being uh fairly similar to the bumpers eventually i didn't love the jellyfish or anything but it's interesting that you have such problems with them because I think one of the things that becomes clear, particularly as you move through the seasides, is the degree of variability between in these objects that you initially assume don't have it. Like the other one that comes to mind is the um, on the core side, you have these when you're on the lava side, you have these crumbling blocks. And when you kind of land on them or push against them, they will ricochet. They'll kind of like buckle a little bit then ricochet you in the opposite direction and depending on where you land on the block will give you a different kind of arc of movement i I also find those things to be a bit fiddly to be honest okay you mention it yeah so so for me i actually quite like this as as a high-end mechanical thing and i think it's a very natural progression when you first start playing celeste you don't really distinguish between um where you're interacting with these objects and the level design doesn't demand that you understand it but the further you get in the more precise you have to be with your understanding of these environmental objects and to me the puffer fish were just another one of those environmental objects that i had to be precise with i guess when it gets up to that degree of fiddliness is when i start falling off like being mm-hmm. as high like i guess I really like, like, even just, like, dashing through a maze of spikes, I enjoy that because, you know, you have eight ways to dash, so it's not, like, you can press the the, the analog stick a little bit off, and it'll still go the way you're intending it to, like, there's, like, a bit of give, again, translating what the player wants to do. Yeah, I, I guess um, there was just a lot of trial and error with those blocks and the jellyfish of where you need to touch it to, and it became very touchy. I guess it's maybe I'm just bad. I'm, I'm not. I'm not um, <laughs> denying the reality of your experience. I'm just saying I had a different experience with yeah. them. It's and I think chapter nine does do that of you. Like um, there's levels with star blocks where if you don't enter the star block at the correct height, you will die. Like you mm-hmm. need to enter the star block at the upper, you know, upper quarter or the lowest quarter, or when you come out the other end, you're not going, you're going to crash into spikes. And I think that Celeste does this consistently with all of its uh, higher end mechanics. the The main game doesn't demand precision of you, but when you get to the late game, it does, and it does it in every way, not only in precise dashing, but in precise interaction with objects yeah i guess in the main game once i felt like i understood what to do and i'd practiced a few times like once i solved the room i feel like if i did the room again immediately i'd do it whereas i feel like once it gets harder there's like this probability thing where i can't consistently land on the breaking block at the same spot every time so it's like one in three attempts i'll get to try to beat the level and Mm -hmm. it's kind of just rolling the dice hoping that i connect on the right point but you know that's a problem with me i guess i I mean i I do would like to highlight a moment where the precision required in this game did piss me off and i think there are a couple of times where the precision demanded is probably just a little bit too high the first one is in the room 5c 
5C uh, requires you to do a fuck that level. wall kick off a diagonally down moving uh, red bubble, which is kind of like a bubble that just spits you a long distance that you can dash out of any time. But when it's going diagonally down and you have to execute an up wall kick, the timing required to nail that is very precise. Like it is not, it is not a generous timing in the slightest. And and that that one jump is responsible for I'd say four hundred of my five hundred deaths on that level. I yeah, just would absolutely. would fail it over and over again, and it made that screen frustrating because I felt like I was just getting choke pointed on one specific jump over and over again. Yeah, I've seen people complain about that room before. I it, it was my is the thing I hated the most the first time I played the game. I actually. When we played through it all again, I specifically skipped that one just because <laughs> it makes me so mad. Like, 7C is extremely hard, but... No like, one part of it is that hard. It's yeah, but more I'm, evenly spread out. But when I... Yeah, when I fail at that level, I'm not frustrated. I just try again, like, and I'm happy to play that game like a... That level like a hundred goes in a row, failing every time because it's just a well-designed level that feels fair the entire way through. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, I guess one thing I like about Celeste is, you know, when you die, you don't need to do a lot of teasy, tedious, busy work to get up to the bit you're struggling on. And in 5C, it felt like I had to just do the easy part of the level again and again before I got to that one bit. And um, in addition to precision, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, James, was cycles. And I know this is something that we we've already disagreed about before, but I wanted to air it out a bit more and dive into why we disagree on it. So a cycle or a cycle level is when there are objects in the game world that are on a timer almost. Like um, most obviously on level three, there are these things called dust bunnies that will kill you if you collide with them and they are just zipping up and down the screen. So they go up and then they'll go down. So you have to time a jump in between those dust bunnies or when it's at the lower or higher part to not die. Uh, As you get to the more complicated versions of these levels, which require quite precise timing to get through them, um, generally the stuff on the core, which has bouncy platforms and fireballs and the more complicated uh, dust bunny levels, I found myself not enjoying the game as much because instead of executing a jump in my own time and trying to beat these challenges i guess on my own schedule i was instead memorizing locations to be uh depending on what the cycle dictated so once you've died 16 times i know that if i immediately hold down right and hit the spring I can dash at exactly this point to get through the gap between these things, not because I'm reading the screen and dashing between them, but because I know I've memorized this timer. So James, to me, these levels are worse, but I think you said you feel differently about it. Yeah. I've been thinking about that since you brought it up earlier. I would also, I guess, say that I'm lower on those levels than the average level. Like, uh, I got to one recently where it's like, if I just like immediately, as soon as the room starts, um, because the room starts in the same spot every single time, which is great. 
Um, I just jump three times and then wave dash off the third jump because that's the perfect timing for these like blocks to be in the right spot that I won't hit them when I hit a spring. Um, mm. And I've just memorized that I have to do that at the start of every single attempt is jump three times and then wave dash in order to be in line with the clock of the level. Um, and I kind of agree because like one of the things you want to do early is like you stand in the room and you like you figure out what you need to do and then sometimes it's like I figure out what I need to do and then it's just a matter of figuring out the exact timing of when I need to start doing my sequence of jumps yeah and that's not it's not really that interesting it's and, just and when you get to I the eighth eighth movement that you need to make or whatever you'll dash and you'll die and you'll be like all right well I need no I need to hang for half a second more in the air before doing that dash and it's not just... because you've read the screen you're just like memorizing a script which I think is less interesting than I guess ex ju just the fundamental enjoyment of executing um the level on your own terms yeah to me that's kind of the same sort of preciseness that i dislike about the, like the jellyfish and the puffer mm -hmm. fish for example it's like yeah it, it it's just about like memorizing something the like the puzzle of the room is de-emphasized and it's more about like just doing it a million times until you have that rhythm i guess um i mean i don't hate them that much more than regular levels but i do admit that the ones i like less tend to be those ones um it's just i guess testing a different skill that i'm less interested in yeah I, I i wouldn't say i hate them like i still i still enjoy the game it's just those are always my least favorite screens mm. what would you say is like your favorite levels I think this is a good segue because um, I think overall my favorite level, despite dying hundreds of times, is probably 7C. And the reason I like 7C is that it's difficult and engaging from start to finish. Like the very first jump in the level is difficult. The things you have to do in the middle of the level are difficult. Things you have to do at the end of the level are difficult. It isn't, it's a long screen, so it requires you, you a level of endurance and memory to get through it. But critically, it's not a, um, a backloaded level of difficulty where the first, you know, minute of the screen is boring and easy and then it's really hard at the end. And it's not front-loaded in terms of difficulty. It's just difficult and engaging the whole way through. So when you finally beat it, it's very satisfying. And I think the entire time you're learning to beat it and trying to beat it, it's satisfying because you cannot let up. You have to be on point for every single one of the tricks you have to do from start to finish. Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. I think 7C is also probably my favorite level. Um, I'd also give special mention to 1 and 2C. I think they're both great levels. I think mm -hmm. 1B is quite good. Um for the like the a sides it's hard it's probably level seven like, come on it's okay i don't love it i really it's funny because i really like the first levels like stuff but the first level in the a side is just too easy um for me to love it i do love that you can beat it without dashing which we've tried for a long time <laughs> <that miserably>. too, hard. <laughs> too hard yeah um i quite like reflection and mm. the boss battle is just a lot of fun right yeah it, it is i'd say like least favorite levels actually on replaying it this time i ended up 
realizing I don't quite like like level four as much as I thought I did. It's just quite long. Um, also, the wind's annoying. Like when the wind's blowing against <laughs> you, it, when the wind's blowing with you, it's fun. But when the wind's blowing against you, I it's don't just... mind when it, I don't mind it against you. It's okay. I think we both agree that the resort level is probably the worst one. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very long. And like I said, thematically, it feels like a drop off. It's like we're just going through a hotel. I like the music. I, 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 w- I still wouldn't put it as like a bad level. Like I still enjoy. There are it. no, there are no awful levels in this game. Like I, I mean, I know you hate Five C, but I think that the the average quality of the levels is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say there's a, like a few select levels that I love, love. Um, but I just enjoy like the basic gameplay so much anyway that. I, I told a lie. So what I wanted to segue into is I think there is one actively bad level in this game and one actively bad screen that I despise. And oh, that okay. is the very final screen of Chapter 9. So really? the final the final screen of Chapter 9 is the longest level in the game. It probably takes one and a half to two minutes to go through. And you would think, you know, this is the culmination of the final challenge. It's okay that this be this is extremely challenging and long. And I I do agree with that. The the problem with the level is not that it's long. The problem with the level is that it's boring. So I would say, in terms of mechanical skill demanded, Chapter Nine's final farewell screen is like equal to an easy B side or like the end of like a difficult part of chapter eight the thing that makes it hard is that it takes forever to get through and every time you get to a new section and you fail it you have to repeat this long boring section and i think that everything in this final screen goes against the design philosophy of celeste which is we're going to give you a high challenge but it's going to be a forgiving challenge where you just can instantly get back into it this level demands you do this boring ass start of the level, which takes a minute every time you want to get to the part of the level that's interesting. And I was getting so annoyed at this level, not because it was hard, but because it was tedious. And I think it's 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 a real like it's really disappointing that the final level is like this because this should be it should be the culmination of everything you've done. There should be wave dashing and wall kicking, but there's none of that. It's all quite simple. It's weird when the last stretch of like the summit's A side solves this problem with having just a hundred checkpoints. Yeah, a hundred yeah. checkpoints and just one really long screen. Like yeah. that's t- to me, they did it right there, and they. I haven't gotten up to it yet, but I imagine I'll feel the same as you. <laughs> well, I, I I really liked the wave dashing. Like it, I I had to learn how to do it, but I uh, the feeling you get the, the fact that you the madeline can now you know the game is so much about momentum and once you've learned wall dashing and and uh wave dashing and wall kicking you realize that madeline's capable of generating an enormous amount of momentum without any environmental or world objects at all like you Mm -hmm. can just be flying around the place at max speeds with nothing to help you and i think that the realization that you can do that kind of unlocks a deeper part of the game but this was not like this this was very slowly holding a jellyfish as it slowly floats and you avoid easy to avoid obstacles it's it's not good i i'm 
I'm really surprised they decided to go th- this way with this level. Yeah, it's hard for me to comment having not got there myself yet. Like, I'm, in, I'm I reckon I'm on the back half of chapter nine now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that doesn't sound good. That sounds like the opposite of what the games. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be a bit of reprieve. But honestly, I'd expect it to be ball-bustingly hard (laughs) there is a hidden uh secret ending that you can access um which does have some more mechanically demanding things but the problem is you have to go you still have to go through that entire first thing to even access that and then you have to do and then if you fail the hard bit you're all the way back to the start so i yeah i just am not a fan of it when the rest of the quality is so high this felt like a dramatic drop-off and it's really my biggest complaint about the game overall i gotta say Mm -hmm. okay well we already said we liked the game this is usually (laughs) part of the review where we say whether we recommend it and obviously we both love this game and i would recommend this game to lots of people but specifically to like people who like bashing their head against the wall and failing a million times um this game is brilliant for those people i'd say if you love platformers this is an easy recommend um you know regardless of your skill level i think that a big theme of celeste is being able to overcome adversity um you know it being more about you overcoming your self-doubt than overcoming the actual challenge like i was you know browsing online and i saw that it took some people like literally like 16,000 deaths to beat chapter nine um which is like a long ass time but they did it because they you know they persevered and i think that's a big theme of the game so if if you're kind of in for that kind of challenge then i i think there isn't really too many games better for that experience i think celeste is the best 2d platformer ever made and i don't i i know that you know, a lot of people will cry heresy at that, but this to me is the perfect platformer in a lot of ways. Um, Madeline's tremendous fun to control. Uh, she's even more fun to control once you figure out how much momentum she can generate. The levels are tightly designed. The levels encourage you to experiment um, and they're challenging, but not punishing. Um, the difficulty continues to ramp up throughout the entire experience. So you're always engaged and interested. Uh it's fun to play to the point where the platforming is a reward in and of itself. I, and it's even got a good story, which, which is remarkable. How many 2d platformers have good stories, but this game even has a good story. I, um, I highly recommend Celeste to everyone. Um, even if you're not into platformers, I still think the main game you can get a lot of value from. And as James said, if you're the kind of person who enjoys the challenge of video games, Celeste is marvelous. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper and continues to challenge you. Uh, fantastic game from start to finish. One or two quibbles aside, there's really not much wrong here. It's it's a 10 out of 10 game. And I hope that platformers in the future learn from Celeste. And I know that some already have. So uh, well done to the developers of Celeste. This is, when I think of like good platformers, this is the standard by which I'm comparing them to. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Like, this is my favorite 2D platformer, too. Um, I haven't played, like, a ton of them, but we've played a bunch for the show, and I've played others outside. Uh, easily my favorite. Like, I think just the fundamental way it lets you retry over and over, it just makes it so much more enjoyable. And it's so easy to, like, pick up and play. Like, when I played, like, I played it on Switch, and, you know, something really good is that 
because all the levels, like all those screens are self-contained, it's like I can put this game down for a week and come back to it mid-level by resuming my Switch and not need to mm -hmm. know anything about the level in order to continue playing it. Like I just look at the screen and that's my challenge, you know, and I just have it next to my computer. You know, if I'm sitting in Discord with friends or queuing for Dota or something, I can just pick it up and do a level whenever I want. You know, if we were out at Magic or something between rounds, I could pick it out of my bag, play a level. It's just, yeah, it's just the, the structure is perfect, basically. Like, I think this is the gold standard for how to structure your platformers. And obviously, you know, not the only way to do it, but it is by far my favorite way. Yeah, so, so I think... Yeah. That, that's about it. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, to listening to us talk about Celeste. I hope you've enjoyed our experiment with a bit more of a modern game. Um, if you've enjoyed it, please let us know. Uh, James and I have always talked about uh, doing modern games every now and then as part of our regular programming. Um, if if you want to hear more of it, we'd love to hear hear hear. If you want to hear more of this, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, if you hated it, we'd also love to hear what you have to say. Um, so James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. Uh, we review these classic games, and in this case, a modern classic. Um, you can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got all of our episodes as well as a bunch of articles that James and I have written. Um, most importantly, we'd love if you drop by and join our Discord community. This is where most of our community engagement happens. Um, so we have lots of discussions about old games and new ones, and we take suggestions as well. So if you'd like to join the conversation, we heavily encourage you to join our Discord server. So James, mm. th this is the end of the experiment. It's time to go back to our regular programming. And because you picked the last game before the break, which was... Street Fighter 2. Was Street Fighter 2. I now get to pick a game. And you know what, James? I think it's been too long since we've done a stealth game. Uh-huh. It's been it's been <laughs> at least six months. We've got to get back into stealth gaming. We've only played half the stealth games in existence. We need to get into the other half. So I have chosen to do Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. So we did Splinter Cell 1 earlier. We both really enjoyed it. I, I think that Splinter Cell is fascinating in that it's a console stealth game that took a lot of cues from thief in terms of its moment to moment gameplay but kind of wrapped them up in a more linear level design space and i think it produced an experience that was uh in my mind not as good as thief but still very commendable and still very tightly designed i liked it a lot and i know that chaos theory which is the third in the theories is largely regarded as the high point of the entire series um, in terms of it rounding out and refining this linear third-person stealth experience. We skip Pandora tomorrow because it's mostly more of the same, but everyone loves Chaos Theory. So it seemed natural to go to the high point to see what it really had to offer. Have, have you heard of Chaos Theory before, James? Yeah, it's the one people always talk about. I'm okay with doing this game because I liked... Uh, I liked Splinter Cell 1 more than I did Thief um, by quite a bit, so I'm excited to see where the series goes next. I'm hoping that the story is maybe a bit more interesting this time around, and I really hope that they keep, you know, this idea of changing your walking speed with the mouse wheel. I thought that was great the first Ooh, time around. I, I can I can confirm it does. And not only that, it now has five variable move speeds instead of three. So Ooh, that's exciting. In, inclu including crouching versions of that. So it's it, it's does even it better. Like, does it have the Metal Gear Solid 4 like 
tiptoe crawl with the like fingertips where you oh, move they're it, super like... slow yeah I, I i don't i don't like you can move pretty slow in this game but it's not, it's I, not I, think, like, I feel i feel like that's that 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 crawl speed's like a meme more than anything right? yeah so so metal gear solid has far more than five degrees of movement the analog stick i i don't know how many it is in the later games but it must be like up to 15 different speeds depending on how much you're moving on the analog stick splinter cell still feels pretty analog like i'm playing on mouse and keyboard you use the mouse wheel but five is pretty good it, it's definitely better than thief's like two or three yeah. effective move speeds so i i I'm a big fan of how it's implemented in Splinter Cell. Well, hopefully it lives up to the first game. I imagine it will, since so many people think it's the best in the series. And, uh, you know, probably just uh, just going to be a good game. So looking forward to talk about how it uh, changes things up. Yeah, so we'll see you all in a fortnight for Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. Adios, everyone. See you then. See you then.